This is a game called the line game. Does anybody know the line game? All right, AJ does because we talked about him before. So this is good. This will be everybody's first time doing the line game. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to go in the aisles, and we want you to line the aisles, make like a single file on this side and this side, and kind of put your backside up against the pew, on the edge of the pew, if that makes sense. You're already there. Scott, Scott, like, you know this game, don't you? It's back to basics, y'all. This is your getting in place music. Alright, is everybody everybody's already lined up? Okay, good. So this is my buddy Blake, and Blake will be your official game leader tonight. So I'm gonna turn over control of the line game. Alright guys, so this is how this game is gonna work. Um, I'm going to read a statement, and if this statement applies to you, you're just going to step forward. So that might mean that you're going to be pretty close to somebody across from you. But that's okay. That's the point of the game, all right? So the questions are going to be pretty easy at first, and then they're going to gradually get a little bit more deep, okay? So the very first one, step forward if you are a UK basketball fan. <laughs> okay, you can step back now. Step forward if you know at least one Ed Sheeran song. Ed Sheeran. If you know one Ed Sheeran song. <laughs> okay, you can step back. Step forward if you know every word of at least one Taylor Swift song. Way to own it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I love the guys that had to step forward on that one. All right, here's the next one. Step forward if Chipotle is your favorite restaurant. <laughs> so, hey, guys, look down the line. Those are the people that you want to go to lunch with. There you go. <laughs> All right, you can step back. Step forward if you were a child of a single parent or a child of divorce. You can step back. Step forward if at some point in your life you've struggled with some form of addiction. You can step back. Step forward if at some point in your life you felt financially unstable. <laughs> you can step back. You guys were in that one. You gotta love America. All right, here's the next one, guys. Step forward if you've ever been confused about the direction of your life. You can step back. Step forward if you've ever doubted God in your relationship with Him. You can step back. The last question. Step forward if you've ever been hurt by someone in the church. Look around, guys, and you can sit down. <laughs> Any church. <laughs> Look around, guys. This is not how church is supposed to be. You can have a seat. The purpose of that line game was to have a little bit of fun tonight. 
But tonight we're talking about fellowship. And the idea of fellowship is a group of people coming together as one body. We talk about this uh, catchphrase for Thrive, be real, be loved, belong. We talk about it almost every week. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to be in a place where you can be real, be loved, and belong? And what that means is you're in a place that God intended church to look like. Um, We saw originally how God intended our relationships to be when we look in Scripture in Genesis. You see Adam needing a person in his life, needing someone to be his companion, and so God gives him Eve. And Scripture talks about how when they were in the garden, they walked in perfect peace. But when sin entered the world, they realized their nakedness, and they covered themselves. You see, so often we do the same thing. We might not use a fig leaf, but we've gotten really good at covering our junk and relationships with people. Um, We've gotten really good at acting like we have it all together, acting like we haven't struggled, acting like we haven't been through things in our life. And I love this line game because what it does is it puts you toe-to-toe with somebody that you might not expect to have the same struggle as you. You Looking around during that game, you probably realized, wow, I never expected that person to have struggled with that. And, and one of the biggest things in the church that we struggle with, even here at Burlington, is building discipleship and, and building that community of people who have somebody that they can go to who's been there. And so I hope that during that game, you saw faces of people who you might be comfortable going to and saying, listen, I've been struggling with this. This is me being transparent. This is me being real. Will you help me through it? Because you've been there. And we need to be in a place where we can do that. And I think that we're slowly getting there. But when, we, when they were in the garden, they realized their nakedness. It wasn't just the physical nakedness. They were vulnerable. They were transparent. And so many times in Scripture, when Jesus was on earth, we saw Jesus do something kind of strange to our culture. But he was constantly bringing people's flaws to the surface. Not to hurt them, but to disciple them. To refine them. To help them grow. And Scripture is constantly talking about how iron sharpens iron talks about how an enemy multiplies kisses, but a friend will say hard words that might hurt you. And so we get this idea that sometimes being real is painful, but it's necessary, and it's what Jesus intended originally. And I think it all comes from the position of our heart during fellowship, the position of our heart when we come into a building to join together and celebrate and praise God. And in the Gospel of John, he said this, He told us exactly what he wanted us to do while we were on earth with one another. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Right there, he's telling us exactly how he wants us to live our life in relationship with other people. He's saying, listen, I gave my life for you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. There was nothing you could do to merit it, but I gave it for you because I love you that much. And he wants us to sacrificially live our lives that way with every person we come in contact with. Now, I don't know about you, but I fail at that every single solitary day. Every day I struggle with being selfish, with putting me first, with loving myself more than I love my neighbor. And some people are really difficult to love. How many of you guys have somebody that's difficult to love in your life? Just pop up your hand. Yeah, that's almost everybody. Um, And if you didn't raise your hand, it's probably you that's difficult to love. But everybody has these people in our life, and I think God teaches us how to love like this by putting unlovely people in our life. You know, it's easy to love people that are constantly pumping you up and encouraging you and telling you how wonderful you are. But it's hard to love the person that stands opposed to you. It's hard to love that person that disagrees with you. But that's how community is built. 
It's built upon people saying, you know what, we look different. We might not agree on everything, but you're welcome at my dinner table. You can sit down with me, and we can be friends, and we can have this community because we have one commonality, and that's Jesus Christ. In Philippians, uh, Paul understood this concept as he wrote to the church in Philippi, and he said this. He said, for it's only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. You all are partakers of grace with me. You see, Paul saw the bigger picture. When he went through all of these seasons of life, he knew that he wasn't doing it alone because he had people in his life who were also partakers of grace. He had people in his life. He had genuine community. You see, what's happened so often, though, in the church is we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from the offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. You see, love's not something that we give or get. It's something that we nurture and grow. It's a connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists within each of them. You see, we can only love others as much as we love ourselves. You know, I've said this from the pulpit before um, a while ago at Thrive, but, you know, we read scripture that says, uh, treat your neighbor and love your neighbor as you love yourself, but there's an assumption there that you actually love yourself. And there are so many people today in the church that feel so broken and so messed up and so jacked up and feel like they're so unworthy for God to use them that they don't actually love who they are. They don't actually appreciate the fact that they're a child of the king. And so because of that, these are the people that just walk around and they can't do relationships because this idea of love just doesn't make sense to them. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you struggle with loving yourself, with understanding that, yes, you're broken, yes, you're a sinner, but you're a redeemed child of the king. That you are qualified in God, through God, by God. Maybe that's you tonight. And maybe the first step in loving people and developing community is for you realizing that about yourself tonight. Maybe for the very first time. Maybe for the very first time. See, one of my favorite movies um, says it best. It says, we accept the love we think we deserve. It's in the perks of being a wallflower. We accept the love we think we deserve. And I think that hits the nail on the head. So often we don't feel like we deserve love. And so not only does that affect our relationships here on earth, but it's why a lot of people struggle to even have a connection with God. Because they feel like they can't come to him, that they're not worthy, that his love isn't big enough for their sin or their junk. And so while we're talking about fellowship tonight, I want to encourage you that if that is you, you're never out of reach of God. That he does love you and he has redeemed you and qualified you. All you have to do is say, God, I need you. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Would you redeem my story? And he will. He will every single time. And he doesn't make you do it alone. He gives you people to share life with, to love, to exchange this love. Chris and I were talking in the office um, this week. Actually, we were at his house about this message. And he was sharing with me something that he read in a book. And I think it put this whole thing into really good perspective when we're talking about this idea of people feeling unworthy and being ashamed. And he was talking about how every single one of us have three different layers we have the first layer, which is the most truthful um, core of ourself, who we really are as people, our characteristics, our personality, the person that God designed us to be. But over top of that, there's this mask, there's this fat, so to speak, and that's shame. 
That's our own human shame from whatever it might be. Maybe it's uh, own personal insecurity. Maybe it's past mistakes that you wish that you could leave there. Maybe it's things that you're afraid to talk to people about because you think they would judge you or hurt you. And so we have this fat of shame that's weighing down on our soul and who we actually are. But that's not the last layer. We have one more layer, an outer core. And this layer sort of locks in our shame. But this layer is the mask layer. This layer is the church layer. This layer is the layer of what do you want to be named by? And every person in the room has specific things that they could say, you know what, yeah, that's how I want to be identified as. You know, for some people it might be humor. You want people to see you as the funny guy. And so when you're in a room, you're constantly just shooting off jokes. And if people laugh, you feel and get your worth from that. Uh, maybe for you it's not that, but it's money. And so you constantly are flashing all the things you have and who you are. Maybe it's that you brag about your job or the relationships in your life. Whatever it is, you put up this front, this pseudo-self, so to speak. And the problem that this creates is we have people in the church that come into here every single solitary week that look like they've got their lives together, and we never, ever get to see who they really are as people. That's why we have empty, shallow relationships. You see, God has called us into relationships that are as deep as the ocean, and we're living in kiddie pools because we can't get past this layer of shame. This layer of things, we can't handle it head on and confront it and get rid of it and allow God to do a work in us. And so it's caused us to have rifts in our relationships and our friendships, and that's not what God intended. So maybe tonight for the the first time you need to go on a shame diet. You need to start shedding some of the weight of that shame because God will roll it back. Scripture tells us that. God will redeem those stories. So you can start loving and having genuine relationship where people know who you are at your core where they know you on an intimate and real level. I was reading a book the other day called Spiritual Friendship, and it it proposed this idea. And the idea was this, that what if we looked at all of our relationships and our friendships with the same standard as we do marriage? Okay, so at first I thought this is really weird. You know, that that has to be unhealthy, That's, that's odd. But then I started thinking about it. And what if we made the same kind of promise to a friend, to a person in the church, a brother or sister, that we make when we, we get married. That we say, you know what? I'm going to love you unconditionally. I'm going to love you in sickness and in health. I'm going to love you in the good times and the bad times. I'm going to fight for our relationship and what we have. You see, too many friends in our life are expendable. Too many of us are trying to do things alone and okay when friends just fall off the map. But that's not what God wants. And so what would it look like if we made those kind of commitments to our friends? Maybe so many of us wouldn't feel so lonely at nighttime when we feel all alone with no one to talk to because we've pushed everyone away. There's an example of this kind of friendship in the Bible of two friends that became friends in a really odd set of circumstances. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, it talks about the story of Jonathan and of David. Now, Jonathan was King Saul's son, and so he was the most unlikely person to actually befriend David because David was vying for his kingship. He had been called to become the king and it says in chapter 18, verse 3 of 1 Samuel this. It says, Then Jonathan made a covenant. He made a promise with David because he loved him as himself. Because he loved him as himself. You see, circumstances said, don't do that. People in his life said, don't do that. But he said, you know what? I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to have a friendship that is real and that matters regardless of circumstance or things around us. Regardless of if we look different or if this is awkward I'm going to make a promise to this person to be a real friend to them. What if we did that in the church? What would our body look like? 
Maybe we wouldn't have so much drama or quarreling or fights over opinion because the person would matter more than what you think about an idea. Just a thought. See, there's an importance here, and this importance is this. I'm not saying in the church you have to have 20 friends or 50 friends or 100 friends, but there is such an importance to having one good friend, just one good friend in your life. That person that if it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you're struggling with something, you can get on your phone and you know they're going to answer. You know? That person who you can be real with and who knows you better than you know yourself at times. Who can say, listen, man, you're getting it wrong and I love you enough to tell you. See, we need those kind of people in our life. That's why Jesus gave the disciples each other to do life together. And sure, they did not look alike. They had differences. They, they had probably some arguments at times because they were living life together. But they had each other. And they knew they had each other at all times. See, what happens is, is when we start getting it right in the church, when we start understanding this concept and we start developing genuine friendships, genuine relationships, when we make the decision to move past our feelings, move past our opinions of people, and just say, I'm committing to be that person and to love them because God has called me to it at this church. When we start getting it right, that becomes attractive to people. You know, we talk all the time about inviting people to church. How do we get people here? How do we get people in the door? And I think the, the biggest thing is people aren't going to come to a place that seems unhealthy. It's like you don't really want to go over to that person's house when you know they have a dysfunctional family. It just makes you feel kind of uncomfortable. It makes you feel kind of unwelcome. The same is true about the church. And so I think it's true to say that attraction is attractive. And so the more that we start drawing towards each other, the more we start to unify as a body of believers, the more we're going to be able to reach a hurt and broken world. It's almost like this idea of the cool kids. You know, that group of people, I think everybody probably has had this group of people in their life. Um, you see them and they just click and they're the best of friends and you can tell they have each other's back no matter what. And sure they fight, but they love each other deeply. And you want to be a part of it. Well, I want to be a church where people want to be a part of it. It's a part of our line. Be real, be loved, belong. I want to be a place where I know I belong so other people do too. And they feel comfortable in this place. Can we move to that in fellowship? See, what happens so many times is we neglect real relationships. So many times we live our life selfishly. So many times we live our life consumed by the day-to-day instead of investing in things that actually matter. And so my question is this. If you really think about what you do in a day, the people that you run into, the time that you spend investing in relationships. My question is, what do we miss as a church? When seeking to move this fellowship of believers, this body, from these walls out into the community to extend the community of the kingdom, how much do we actually miss? See, we live in a a day and age where everything is right here in front of our face. I'm one of the worst people that uh, struggles with this guy. I can't be in a room without it in my hand. In fact, when we were planning this service, I was on it, and Chris said to me, he said, you know, I heard one time, if you're going to be at a place, you should be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. And it kind of hit me, you know. You see, we live in a day and age that is filled with cheaters. You know, all of us really are cheaters. We cheat on every relationship that we have because we'd rather spend time on our phone than look at a person who is tangible, who is sitting in front of us, who probably is hurting who you might not actually notice that they're hurting if you don't look up long enough to see their eyes, to listen and hear their heart and their story and where they're at. How much do we miss because we refuse to look up? See, there is a a story in the Bible 
about Saul being transformed into Paul. And I think about this sometimes. What if Ananias, the, the man who ministered to Paul, the man who brought Paul into his salvation, helped him get there? What if he had been so distracted and so consumed with self that he didn't see God calling him to go to Paul? Because he had been too in himself. Because he didn't make it an important priority to be intentional about ministering to God, uh, for God. I think about that, and think about Paul. You see, Paul wrote nearly half of the New Testament. Paul ministered to hundreds of churches and people. And so these are thousands and thousands and thousands of lives that he won for the kingdom because one man decided to look up and answer the call of God. Do you want to miss that one man? That one experience, that one moment, because you're in your phone? Maybe it's time for us as a church to look up. I have 422 friends, yet I'm lonely. I speak to all of them every day, yet none of them really know me. The problem I have sits in the spaces between looking into their eyes or at a name on a screen. I took a step back and opened my eyes. I looked around and realised that this media we call social is anything but when we open our computers and it's our doors we shut. All this technology we have, it's just an illusion. Community, companionship, a sense of inclusion. Yet when you step away from this device of delusion, you awaken to see a world of confusion. A world where we're slaves to the technology we mastered, where information gets sold by some rich green a world of self-interest, self-image, self-promotion, where we all share our best bits but leave out the emotion. We're at our most happy with an experience we share, but is it the same if no one is there? Be there for your friends and they'll be there too, but no one will be if a group message will do. We edit and exaggerate, crave adulation. We pretend not to notice the social isolation. We put our words into order until our lives are glistening. We don't even know if anyone is listening. Being alone isn't a problem. Let me just emphasise, if you read a book, paint a picture, or do some exercise, you're being productive and present, not reserved and recluse. You're being awake and attentive and putting your time to good use. So when you're in public and you start to feel alone, put your hands behind your head, step away from the phone. You don't need to stare at your menu or at your contact list. Just talk to one another. Learn to coexist. I can't stand to hear the silence of a busy commuter train where no one wants to talk through the fear of looking insane. We're becoming unsocial. It no longer satisfies to engage with one another and look into someone's eyes. We're surrounded by children who, since they were born, have watched us living like robots and think it's the norm. It's not very likely you'll make world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a child without using an iPad. When I was a child, I'd never be home. Be out with my friends on our bikes, we'd roam. I'd wear holes in my trainers and graze up my knees. We'd build our own clubhouse high up in the trees. Now the park's so quiet, it gives me a chill. See no children outside and the swings hanging still. There's no skipping, no hopscotch, no church and no steeple. We're a generation of idiots, smartphones and dumb people. So look up from your phone, shut down the display. Take in your surroundings, make the most of today. Just one real connection is all it can take to show you the difference that being there can make. Be there in the moment that she gives you the look that you remember forever as when love overtook. The time she first holds your hand or first kiss your lips. The time you first disagree but still love her to bits. The time you don't have to tell hundreds of what you've just done because you want to share this moment with just this one. The time you sell your computer so you can buy a ring for the girl of your dreams who is now the real thing. The time you want to start a family 
and the moment when you first hold your little girl and get to fall in love again. The time she keeps you up at night and all you want is rest and the time you wipe away the tears as your baby flees the nest. The time your baby girl returns with a boy for you to hold and the time he calls you granddad and makes you feel real old. The time you take in all you've made just by giving life attention and how you're glad you didn't waste it by looking down at some invention. The time you hold your wife's hand, sit down beside her bed. You tell her that you love her, lay a kiss upon her head. She then whispers to you quietly as her heart gives a final beat that she's lucky she got stopped by that lost boy in the street. But none of these times ever happened. You never had any of this. When you're too busy looking down, you don't see the chances you miss. So look up from your phone, shut down those displays. We have a finite existence, a set number of days. Don't waste your life getting caught in the net, as when the end comes, nothing's worse than regret. I'm guilty too of being part of this machine, this digital world we are heard but not seen, where we type as we talk and we read as we chat, where we spend hours together without making eye contact. So don't give in to a life where you follow the hype. Give people your love, don't give them your like. Disconnect from the need to be heard and defined. Go out into the world, leave distractions behind. Look up from your phone, shut down that display. Stop watching this video, live life the real way. Definitely a video that uh, can shake up a little bit and give you some perspective. Um, the first time we watched this together, uh, me, Pete, and Chris kind of hit me uh, personally. And I think that he makes a really good point um, that we refuse to have intimate relationship because we're so consumed in this fake sense of community. And so I want to make a challenge for us, uh, for each of us as we leave this place, uh, homework, so to speak, since we're doing back to the basics. Your homework is this. Would you spend at least 30 minutes every day trying to invest in a relationship that you typically wouldn't? And I mean putting down your phone, going to get coffee with a person, going to have lunch with somebody. You know, Jesus gave us this idea. You know, people think that eating with people was a Baptist thing, but really it was a Jesus thing. Uh, I mean, think about it. Think about the Last Supper. He decided that he wanted to tell everybody about this thing that he was going to do over food. And I think that he gives us the same opportunity to, to meet people where they are with a meal or a cup of coffee. And so I challenge all of you guys to do that to truly invest in a relationship this week. And some of you guys might be saying, Blake, I like that video. It's great, and I get what you're saying, but I'm just awkward. You know, I'm not good at branching out or talking to people, and I'm kind of weird, and they're kind of weird, and so it's just awkward when we get together. And I get that. Um, I really get that. Uh, just You guys probably know this because most of you guys know me, but I'm an extremely awkward person. I can stand up here and talk to you guys like it's no big deal, but get me one-on-one, -on -one and I, I might say really weird things um, just because I'm uncomfortable. But we have to force ourselves to get there because the reality is even though it might be uncomfortable at first, when you start to get to the core of who a person is, you look past those things. And those moments where you say stupid stuff are actually really, really good memories down the road. Because you say, dude, remember how awkward you were that one time? And it's funny. It's something that you guys can hold on to as friends. You might say to me, Blake, 
These people, though, that you want me to talk to, that you want me to love, that you want me to invest in, they just don't get me. They're so different than me, you know. I'm a banker. He's a farmer. He's 20. I'm 50. He has tattoos. I'm conservative. You know, I don't know what exactly it might be for you, but you have all these reasons why you won't be friends with that person. And I think it's important for us to understand tonight that unity as a church does not equal uniformity. I want to say that again. Unity for us as a church does not equal uniformity. You know, I think back to the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors, and that story is awesome because that coat of many colors was so valued by him and by his brothers, and that's why they got so jealous. Because during the time, a coat that would have multiple colors in it was extremely, extremely expensive and valuable. Because they would have to use all these different dyes that came from different plants and different materials that you'd have to go all over the place to get just to make the thread to build this tapestry, to build this robe. And it's what made it beautiful and worth something. You see, I think God understood this concept because that's exactly what he's doing in this church. He's bringing the people together that look a little bit different. You know, lots of different colors, personalities, characteristics, come froms, cultures. And he's saying, you know what, you don't have to look the same way. You don't have to be the same type of people to be my church. To come together and create something beautiful on one common thing because I'm stitching you together. Because I did this on purpose. Because I want to make something beautiful with you. See, we just have to put our faith into motion. We have to actually start doing these things to, to create unity in the church. Because God made us with differences that can be celebrated. Because we are sewn together by a God who is the one commonality. He's the only thing that's important in the church. It's the reason that we're all here. We can all agree with that, you know? And so it doesn't matter if that person doesn't look like you. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're going to be awkward. We're called to those genuine relationships. You see, without community, it's impossible to make the church look healthy and appealing to non-believers. God tells us very clearly what his greatest commandment is in Scripture. He says, above all else, love people and love me. Above all else, love people and love me. See, God wants us to have fellowship and community as a church so that we can reach a bigger community, that we can grow his church. See, I often think about this idea of church and why so many people are burnt to it, so many people are hard to it, so many people don't want to be a part of it. And it's because we, we preach this message and this idea that the church is based on tradition, it's based on rules, it's based on what you look like. It's based on um, the amount of scripture you have memorized or the hymns that you have in your back pocket that you can sing. It's based on all these things, and that's what people see when they think of church. But what if we started creating a culture by the way that we love each other that said church is bigger than that? Church means I love you and you're welcome, and you can come here and you can be with me, and we can do life together. See, God intended church to be bigger than four walls or a building. God intended his church to be a group of people that came together for him, to worship him, and to be in fellowship. Would you pray with me? Dear God, right now I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for a group of people who, at the beginning of this service, weren't afraid to be transparent, weren't afraid to step forward on the line and say, you know what, I've got junk. I've got stuff in my life. And that's okay because I'm in a safe place. God, we know that this Thrive thing is new, but we know that you're blessing it. 
We know that you're in this and that you're moving us to create these relationships with people, these, these friendships. God, I'm so grateful for every friend that you've put in my life, for every brother and sister that you've given me, not just to, to be there in the hard times, but be there in the good times, for every person that can look at me and say, man, you are messing up royally and you need to get your act together. I never appreciated tough love until I was in a church that loved me enough to be tough. God, thank you for this place. And as we continue to move on as a service and we cling to this idea of being real, being loved and belonging to something bigger than ourselves, may we just lean into it. May we immerse ourselves in it. May we start to just open up about things and and share our hearts with each other and and grow and and join Bible studies together and have dinner together and hang out with our kids and and our siblings and, and just do life as a family, God. God, as we leave this place, can we remember that our purpose here is to look up and to build your kingdom, to experience real relationship, to be a person that loves the unlovely. May we make our church look so appealing simply because we show you and we know that you are love embodied. So help us love recklessly a world that's hurting and in need of love. Help us be a light in a dark place in our neighborhoods, in our job, in the places that our feet go. And God, help us do life on purpose, not distracted by technology, not distracted by obstacles or things that Satan is trying to to use to prevent the furtherment of your kingdom, God. But help us have a laser focus as a church. And God, let us know that we don't have to do it alone. God, thank you for your love that brings a group of people together that all come from different places. A bunch of knuckleheads and screw-ups that can come to a place and worship a holy God. I'm grateful for that kind of mercy and love. Thank you for this place and thank you for fellowship. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So during this time, we're going to have a time of invitation and uh, you can respond however you want. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be down front. But if not, you can pray where you are. You can pray at the altar. But thank God for this place and the friends he's put in your life. And maybe pray that he would open up doors for you to start having intimate relationships with people. And take that challenge head on. Don't forget about it. Don't just not do it because you know I'm never going to know. God knows. And it'll change your life. It'll make you not feel so lonely. It'll make you realize that life is actually really worth living down and you can take communion. When we take communion, we remember what Jesus did on the cross. And when we're talking about fellowship, when he died on that cross, he gave us the ability to have fellowship with him. He said, I'm going to take on all the sins of the world, every single one of them, so that you can have fellowship with my Father in heaven. Life eternal. No matter how scarred your past is, no matter how broken you are, no matter how much you struggle with addiction and pain and broken relationships, listen, I'm not going to fail you. I've already won the battle for you. So put your head up, my son. Put your head up, my daughter. And live your life. And live it on purpose. Would you come down and celebrate that tonight by taking communion? And give of your tithes and offerings. Just as a way of saying, thank you, God, for all you've blessed me with. I want to give back to you what's already yours. Whatever it is, when you 
you stand and sing, would you just respond tonight, however God's calling you?